this morning. We have uh, began last week a new series, and I've called it 2020 Vision for 2020. Uh, it's important to have a clear sense of vision, and it's amazing how blurry you all are now. I, I can see sort of, I can see Willie's face there, but I, I know he's there, but I just can't, and that's better. And about every 18 months or so, I get a little message from the Optom who says it's time to come and get your eyes checked again, uh, that you can see clearly uh, life, and it can be dangerous not to see with clear vision. And so last week, we looked at one of the aspects of clear vision as we look at the Word of God, and that was doors. Uh, the metaphor of doors is very powerful in Scripture. We find the, the door of salvation that only Jesus can open. In fact, he is the door. And then the second door was the door of fellowship. And really, that's a door that we're called to open. Jesus knocks at the door and says, whoever would hear and open the door will have fellowship with him. And then there was a door of service that God calls us, like Paul, to serve God in the world. And he provides those opportunities. Well, today we're going to be looking at another theme of Scripture, and that theme is God's alignment. And maybe we don't think about alignment much, how powerful it is in the world in which we live. All the planets are in alignment. And the, the Mayan Aztec calendar, it's a, a psychological factor in their thinking that when all the planets line up, then something significant is going to happen in the world. It's a, it's a change from one age to a new age. It's a psychological thing, but it's something about alignment. And what about wheel alignment? We've all had maybe troubles with wheel alignment. You know, your tyres, instead of being straight, they could be like that, or they could be like that, or, or they could be like that, or like that. And we all know what happens when our tyres are like that. They don't wear properly. They wear out the tyres, and in fact, it can be very, very dangerous to drive a car where the wheels aren't aligned. You can go off the road. But there's also a spiritual alignment, and we see that emphasised in James 1.22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And so James is saying there, we need to get things in alignment. Who likes things in alignment? We, we all like it. Are you one of those people that you go into a home and the pitch is one millimetre lower on this side and your voeter is, yes, good on your vote, and you'll straighten it up just to get it in alignment, to have it right? Hearing the word and doing the word have to be in alignment. And there's a principle in scripture concerning alignment that I'd like us to focus in upon today. And it's about a spiritual alignment of what's in our heart and how we live our life. An external and an internal alignment. And Jesus was very firm on this. He was very concerned about it. Matthew 23, 27 to 28. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And so Jesus is saying there, we can have a heart that is in one place 
and then we live in a different place. And the scribes and the Pharisees were doing that. They were pretending to be like whitewashed tombs. They looked beautiful and righteous and they were keeping the law and all those things. And yet on the inside, there was incredible hypocrisy, like dead men's bones. And it's very important that we live a life of alignment, that what's on the inside lines up with how we live our life. Otherwise, we verge on hypocrisy. We're pretending to be something that we're absolutely not. Our private life, our character, our attitudes are the very heart of how we should live. And isn't it sad to see both in religious circles and also political circles that at times people fall from grace, or how we term it, fall from grace, not because of their political skills or their religious skills, but because of a fall in character. They might have an affair on the side or they might embezzle money. And so what's in their heart is different to how they're living their life. But we all will be found out because Jesus said, what is hidden will be revealed. Our private life should align with our public life. We've got to be people of integrity, people who are not pretending to be religious or Christian, but actually living that out in the world. And we've got to have our heart right in alignment with that. Because even though we might be able to fool other people, we cannot fool God. God knows exactly what's going on in our heart. From God's perspective... The victory in the world is supposed to flow out of the victory in our private life. And we'll look at a number of examples of that. For example, King David. In 1 Samuel 17, 34 to 39, David said to Saul, we know the story, he's going to fight Goliath, and Saul says, well, who are you to go and fight this great giant? And David said to Saul, your servant was a shepherd for my father's flock. And when the lion came and the bear, and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after him, and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he rose against me, I took a hold of his beard, and I struck him, and I killed him. Your servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be as one of them, because he has reviled the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me out of the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And so we see this example in the life of David as a man who was very, very isolated. He was on his own looking after the sheep. There was no spectators. There was not in a big stadium. He was out there on his own looking after the sheep and when a bear or a lion came, he had to defeat them to protect the sheep. Before he could fight Goliath in a public arena, he had to defeat the lion and the bear. And so he stands before Saul and he says, I've already done this in my private life. I've already won a victory over the enemies of God in my private life. And therefore I can defeat this Philistine because he's exactly like the lion and the bear. There's no difference between them. They're exactly the same. But the only difference was one was in private and one was in public. 
And if we wish to win the public battles, we must win the private battles. Often we fail because of the private battles of what's in our heart. We get bound by addictions that are part of the world. And we can't win that private battle. And so when we step out to win a public battle, it makes us look like a hypocrite. And God calls us to focus in on what is in our heart. What's in our heart towards God? What is it? Is it a devotion towards God? Do we have something in our private life, in prayer and study of the word, that enables us to rise up and go out and to defeat a Goliath when he comes along? If we're not winning the private battle, forget about the public battle. It just won't happen. And we see, for example, in the life of Jesus. Even Jesus, the son of God, perfect man and perfect God. He had to win the battle privately before he was launched into public ministry. The spirit of God drove him into the wilderness and he faced Satan for 30, uh, 40 days and for 40 nights. And 1 John 2.16 gives us an overview of the sorts of temptations that came against Jesus. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so when Jesus went into the wilderness, he had to win a private battle in these three areas before God then brought him out of the wilderness filled with the Holy Spirit and was able to raise the dead and to proclaim the gospel that would lead people to salvation. And so when we see Jesus going into the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 to 11, I won't read the whole story, but I want to emphasise what Jesus did. Satan came to him and Jesus was hungry. I mean, you might be hungry too after, well, 10 or 20. We don't know what days had passed between Jesus having a meal and he was there and he was hungry. It says he was hungry. And the enemy came and said, you're the son of God, turn the stones to bread and then you won't be hungry. And the flesh hungers for that. I mean, maybe you're sitting down there thinking, morning tea is only about 20 minutes away. Yum, cup of tea. Or maybe you're going home to work. Well, I was going to say a roast dinner, but it's a bit hot for a roast dinner. It's more like salad or whatever. And so the flesh hungers for certain things and it can so lead us off the track. And Jesus responded to that. I'll tell you how he responded in a moment. But he refused to turn the stones into bread. He wouldn't give in to the lust of the flesh. And what about the lust of the eyes? Satan took him up into a high town, showed him all the kingdoms of the world with all of their glory and said, I'll give you all of these if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus refused to give in. He refused to allow the lust of his eyes for power and for glory to consume him. And the pride of life. Throw yourself off the temple. The God will give his angels charge over you and you won't even hurt yourself on the stone. Come on, put on some spectacular show. Everyone will be impressed and you'll be just puffed up with pride and it will be so wonderful. And yet Jesus said, no. He won the private battle. And after 40 days in the wilderness, he came out, he was, he was baptised, he went with uh, the power of the Holy Spirit and began to heal 
and to cast out demons. But he couldn't have that public display until he'd had a private victory. And we will be the same. Moses had to have a private victory for 40 years watching sheep and realising that he didn't have what it took to set the people free. And then God said, now it's time for you to set the people free. And so he had to have a private victory. To what did Jesus align himself? This is important. We're thinking about aligning our lives to something. Some people align their lives to fame, to glory, to money, to power, to all sorts of things. To what do we align our life? What is God calling us in a 2020 vision? If we're going to be seeing clearly, what are we aligning our lives to? Well, let's look at Jesus' alignment. Number one, to every one of the temptations, he said, it is written. The word of God, the word of God reveals God's plan and purpose for our life. It reveals to us how we should live, how we should align ourselves. And isn't it sad in the church today that we see the church often making up its own rules about what's acceptable? And that the church can do this and the church can do that. And we're not aligning ourselves with the word of God. Why is that important? Because the word of God aligns us to the will of God. It tells us what God wants us to do. It's very simple. When Adam and Eve were created, God gave them a word which expressed his will. He said, you can eat of all of these trees, but you can't, you can't eat of this one here because in the day that you eat, you will die. And to what did Adam and Eve align themselves they aligned themselves to the opposite of God's word and God's will. They said, we will go and eat of that tree. And, and Satan was there encouraging them, saying, did God say? And that's the primary temptation, isn't it, down through the ages? Did God say? Well, yes, God did say. You can't eat of that, but you can eat of all of the trees of the garden apart from that. And so Christ aligned himself to the word of God, and that aligned his life to the will of God. His public life flowed out of his private life. How important is that as we seek to express to the world the reality of Jesus? And Glenna said it today, surely Jesus must make a difference. Surely he does in our life. And he will make a difference in our life when our life is aligned with his will. When what's on the inside of me aligns up with how I live my life, how I speak to people, how I treat people, the decisions that I make, when the inside is lined up with the outside. The key to have our life in alignment here is to develop our private life before God and let our public life flow out from there. We don't have to worry about our public life If we've developed our private life, if we've allowed God to work in our heart and transform us to be more like Christ, if we've had the word of God transforming our heart, then as we go out into the world, we will express that transformation in how we speak and how we live and the decisions that we make. Otherwise, we will be hypocrites and we will struggle with the tension of knowing that on the inside... We're one thing, but on the outside, we're another thing. And maybe people will be fooled. 
but God won't. Let's look at Jesus' example, again from Mark 1, 32 to 35. In the evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons. And in the morning, rising up a great while before sunrise, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. And Jesus had this balance in his life, even after the wilderness experience and the temptations that he won that victory. He continually had to go to a private place. He continually had to withdraw to be sustained by God the Father so that when he went out to minister... Now, it might even look like sometimes Jesus was a little bit selfish and and they brought all these people and he was saying, no, no, I need to go away on my own. And at times he said, I need to get away with my disciples. I need to be refreshed. I need to fill up the tank with the very peace and power of God so that I can minister into people's lives. Otherwise, the result will be that we will burn out and we will fall short of what God's purpose and plan is for our life. The one we talked about from Jeremiah 1.5, a purpose and plan for our life that God has. We will miss that because our primary focus has to be in our own private life, our own private devotion before God. If we don't spend time in the word of God and prayer, how can we expect to preach the word and to evangelise and to do good deeds in the world? How can we do that if we're not close to God, if we don't spend time with God? And so the vision, the, the 2020 focus is on what's really important. We see Mary and Martha and we see they're both there and they, and they both seem to be doing something but one seemed to be doing more than the other one. One seemed to be caught up in activities doing things. And yet Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, drawing upon his wisdom and virtue, being sustained. And then after that, there would have been a time to do the other things. Jesus said the bit that Mary has chosen won't be taken away, but all the things that that Martha has done can be lost. We can uh, sacrifice our life to serve God and it can be for absolutely nothing. It can be for nothing unless it's the will of God and unless it flows out of a relationship with God. For that's the most important thing, isn't it? It's got to be the most important thing, our relationship with Jesus. So as we think of going into a new year, we think, what are we going to be doing this year? Should we go out and evangelise? Should we reach the community? Should we do all sorts of things? Yes, we should do those things. But let them flow out of our relationship with God. And we can pretend for a little bit. And I can recall times when I love the tank to get down right near the empty sometimes. I know it's a bit crazy. But Glennis doesn't like that. When you see the little light come on and you go, whoa, the tank's about empty. And when we see the flashing light, it's time to go and fill the tank up. It's crazy to keep driving when you know you're going to run out of petrol soon. We need to call into a service station and fill up with petrol. 
We need to withdraw to pray and read the word, make it part of our life. And we see that there were in this exhortation from Jesus in Matthew 5, 6 to 7. Uh, sorry, Matthew 6, 5 to 6. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and the street corners that they might be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, enter your closet, and when you have shut the door, there's another door there, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. There's a powerful principle of alignment here, aligning the inside with the outside, getting the inside in its proper place first. Jesus is saying, don't do it to be seen by people. And we see two sorts of rewards here. Firstly, the reward from people. A public display to gain attention and applause. But it says there's no reward from God. And if we do the things that we do for God to be seen by people and have people say, oh, you're a wonderful evangelist, you're a wonderful uh, healer or prayer or whatever it is that you do. And God says, well, you've got your reward. The applause of people. But how fickle that is, isn't it? I hear the story time and again of, of people who become great actors. And all of a sudden, after a few years, when they don't look as good as they did at the beginning, maybe there's a few extra pounds on or a few extra wrinkles around the eyes, and people walk away and the applause is no more and nobody wants you anymore. And I was sharing in the devotions a week ago at the Connect Cafe of Sir Anthony Hopkins. You may have heard of him. He's an actor. Uh, he's, I think, won Academy Awards. And uh, earlier on in his career as an actor, in the scene in which he lived, everybody was addicted to alcohol pretty much. And so he became addicted to alcohol. He became an alcoholic. And he had to go and to, uh, to see Alcoholics Anonymous because his life was being destroyed. And as he sat there one day, a lady said to him, have you ever tried God? And he thought to himself, well, hey, I've tried pretty much everything else. We might give God a go here. And he gave his life to the Lord. And his life was completely transformed. And his testimony was he was instantly instantly delivered from alcoholism. How amazing is that? Now, not everybody who's an alcoholic and wants to be free is instantly delivered, but for him, there was an instantaneous deliverance. And he was on being interviewed on a TV show and someone said, you know, do you believe in God? And he said, yes, I do, I do. And he made a firm stand because God has changed his life. The inside and the outside need to line up. If all we're going for is the applause of people and, and the rewards that the world give, gives to us, God says there is no reward for us. But then we see a second reward, a reward from God in our private devotions. We come to know God, to love God, to serve God. And there's a reward from God, but nothing from people. Maybe people will look at the, the things that you do behind the scenes quietly that nobody's standing there giving you an applause for. It can be that you come in here uh, on a Saturday and you clean the church or whatever it is that you do. God sees and God said, I will reward you. 
We don't seek the applause of people. We seek the reward and the applause that comes from God when God one day will say, well done, good and faithful servant. If our life is aligned, the inside and the outside, not dead men's bones on the inside and whitewashed tomb on the outside, there's got to be an alignment there. And I just want to finish off with looking at, very briefly, the qualifications that the Bible gives for eldership. Just as an example, from 1 Timothy 3, 4 to 5. It says that the elder, his heart should be set on guiding his own household with wisdom and dignity, bringing up his children to worship with devotion and purity. For if he's unable to properly lead his household well, how could he properly lead God's household? What an incredible, what an incredible set of standards the Bible has. It's saying, if you can't work on your marriage and on your parenting and on your own private life of devotion and prayer and study of the word of God, if you can't have that in order, don't, don't seek after being an elder in the church for how can you look after the people of God if you're not looking after your own household? How, how can you go out there to stand up with power and, and evangelise and preach the gospel if you haven't prayed? I remember hearing the, uh, the testimony of uh, uh, some of the, the people, or, or written testimony, actually reading it of some of those who went with Moody when he would go into various places to preach. And Moody would come in and he'd preach the gospel and lots and lots of people would be saved. And they said, wow, this man is a great man. What an incredible preacher of the gospel. He's got the anointing of God. But they didn't realise that weeks and weeks and weeks beforehand, a number of his team would go into a town and they would pray and they would seek other people in the town and they would meet together day in and day out and they would pray and seek God for a, a revival in that town. And then Moody would get up and say, oh, if you want to come to Jesus, come to Jesus. And they'd all rush forward. And everyone would go, wow, isn't he amazing? Obviously it wasn't as simple as that. He'd preach the gospel. But everybody saw this man, the public display, and he prayed too. He was a man of prayer. But they didn't see the people behind the scenes who were hidden away for weeks praying. And there's this relationship both as individuals. If we want our life to be in alignment and count for something, the inside's got to line up with the outside. But also as a group of Christians, we see Moses up on the hill praying with Aaron and Hur holding up his hands. And Joshua's in the valley fighting and when his hands drop, Joshua loses. When his hands are lifted up, Joshua starts to win. And we see this alignment between what's hidden away. I'm sure that the Amalekites down in the valley didn't even know that Moses was on the hill praying. They might not have even been able to see him. We really don't know. But here are these, these three old guys. It's like geriatrics. They had their walkers in their chairs and they're up there on the hill and they're, they're sort of up there going, oh, you know, we're praying away, God. And, but what power was released when that hidden thing gave the power to the thing that was visible? And no matter how much Joshua tried, no matter how good the fighters were, they kept losing when his arms dropped. It doesn't matter how gifted we are, how talented we are, 
how rich we are as a church. It doesn't matter about any of those things. Anything that we try to do to reach the community will not avail for anything if we do not pray. If we do not together come and pray to God and individually in our own prayer life, pray. Our marriage can fall to bits if we don't pray. Our children can walk away if we don't pray. So we're called to get that bit together first and allow all of the things that flow out of it on the outside to come out of what's on the inside. The scripture says that we'll receive living waters and it will be like a fountain that will burst out of the inside and flow out. If it's not on the inside, it's not going to flow anywhere. I want to invite the team to come up as we close. And I'd like us to pray this morning. I'd like us to pray that God will help each and every one of us here to get our inside right. To get our private devotion right. To get that inside and the outside lined up as we go into 2020. You know, we talk about uh, we making New Year's resolutions. I went for a number of years where I made a New Year's resolution. This year I'm going to be thin. As you can see, it's not sort of working so good. But this year I'm going to lose so many kilos. But isn't it hard to do? Isn't it hard to do? And I saw during the week an interview with a man who He's built amazing. He's got muscles and abs and guns and all the things that young people talk about today. And he said, I started at the age of 12 and every day I exercised and I ate well and now I'm 42 and they showed a picture of him with his shirt off and he was like, wow, that's awesome. He's got muscles on his muscles and he's healthy and fit and well. Now, that's a physical thing that in the end will avail us not a lot, but a little bit maybe. But what about our spiritual lives? Are we fit like David, who was able to win the battle against the bear and the lion, so that when the opportunity came to fight against a Goliath, we're able to say, look, we've got the points up in the private area, and as God guides, we, re we reach out to defeat the enemy of God. So let's pray this morning as we come to God. But each and every one of us, Father, we present ourselves to you. We know that you love us and you care for us. We know that you provided every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. But we come with repentance this morning. We ask forgiveness that at times we haven't even reached out to take hold of and to possess the inheritance that you've given. We've held back. We haven't valued prayer and your word and fellowship and worship. And Father God, forgive us individually and as a group. Father, fill us with your spirit today, now, that we might be motivated and strengthened by your spirit to take those times when we go to a, a private place, when we go into our prayer closet, and we lift up to you the needs that we have and the needs of others. And we think of Logan, we think of the desperation in so many lives in this, this city, Father God, 
there's no way that there's anything we can do to reach this city. But we know that as we yield ourselves and surrender ourselves to you, Father God, that you can take us and you can do abundantly more than we can ever ask or expect. And we can see revival in this city. And we pray for that for the coming year, Father God, that as we see that 2020 vision of, of doors being opened and of our lives being aligned to what you have for us, Father God, that we will see a display of your power. Even as on the day of Pentecost where they waited in the upper room and they were waiting. And then God, you turned up. and says, and suddenly from heaven... God, I pray for us suddenly for 2020 for this church and for David as he leads the board and the people of this church, Father God. May there be a, a suddenly from heaven when your spirit is poured out with such power that our lives will be transformed and communities will be changed and people who are addicted to alcohol and to drugs and to pornography will be set free in the name of Jesus. Father, we look for another Pentecost. We look for an ongoing move of your spirit, Father, that our lives will be brought back into alignment with everything that you have for each and every one of us. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.